This morning, we're going to look at the subject of the greatness of our salvation. How we have been brought nigh by the blood of Christ. We're going to read in Ephesians chapter 2. The context is verses 11 through 22. But this morning we're going to focus on one verse, verse 14. Actually, look at verse 13. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning in your almighty presence. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace and the power that you give us. Thank you, Father, for saving through the blood of your Son. Father, as we open up this portion of Scripture, we know, and Lord, as we preach, many will turn away your words. They won't have a heart to receive it. They won't have a mind. They, it just will not penetrate their hearts, Father. We know and we rely upon your power to do that in their hearts. Father, we pray for those, Lord, and, and we do ask if it be thy will to quicken and bring to life one person. And we'll love you and thank you, Father. We'll give you all the praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, many times we as Christians, as those who are God's people, we'll sometimes let ourselves forget just how great our salvation is. And if you think about it, the word of God was written just for that very, one of the very facts of not only does it reveal to us the Lord God, it reveals to us salvation, but it also reveals to us the greatness of salvation and how we can read it and study it, we can celebrate in it, we can have victory in it, and what sweet assurance the Word of God brings us of the greatness of the Lord's salvation. And we should continually bring it into our minds. Now, verse 13, there are three things that we want to look at. But now, in Christ Jesus, who were sometime were far off. And then it says, are made nigh. By the blood of Christ. You can divide that scripture into three parts. What were we? What are we now? And what happened? What changed? So in this very first verse, we see that being now in Christ Jesus, who were sometimes afar off. This word afar off means that you are not near God. Now we know from the context, the immediate context, in verse 10 and verse 11, we had talked about this in Romans, and we're at the point where it is talking about how God has extended mercy to the Gentiles, how God has grafted in the Gentiles into his covenant promises, and how he is saving his elect, even though they're not in the house of Israel, in the commonwealth of Israel. But in Chapter 2, we see both. We, we see in the context both those who were afar off, meaning not just the Gentiles, who were 
They were as a nation. They were far off but had been brought nigh into God. But he's also talking about the individuals within those people groups. Whether you're a Jew or you're a Gentile. And he starts here in verse 2. What were we? Wherein time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's the devil, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Oh, many of the children are led by the spirit of the devil. Verse 3, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. What were we, what were we by nature? The children of wrath. What are we at any day of our life being born on this planet? We are the children of wrath. Does that mean that I am a child who is wrathful? No, that means I am a child that has been reserved for wrath by God. The children of wrath are the ones God will pour out his wrath upon. But look at verse 4, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. We would all be miserable if all we had were the first three verses, or the first, first two in verse three, knowing that all in our nature is that. He says in verse five, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, down in verse 11, now we'll get back to these verses here in a minute. He talks about in the direct, immediate context, he is talking about the Gentiles are afar off. Verse 11, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. There it is right there. What were we? What are we by nature? We are without hope, without God in the world. So we have been separated from God individually, and in the context, it's nationally through the Gentiles. And, but what do we see even now, there's a large amount of people who are doing these things. They're trying to get to God in their own merits, their own way, in their own how. It, even when we, we are trying to draw ourselves nigh to God with our own efforts. We see this all the, we see millions and billions of people making this effort. And there's really four different things that we're seeing. We're seeing the moralist approach. The moralist approach says that uh, they are a good enough person and they have a right to stand before an almighty and holy righteous God. There is no other greater denial of the gospel of Jesus Christ than to believe that you in your own good works can stand before God and be righteous before him. 
There is no greater denial of the gospel. Because if that were true, Paul says, why would Christ come and die? If you could stand before God in your own good works, those are the moralists. Those are the moralists. They believe they're good enough. Next are the, the humanists. Humanitarianism. They know that they're not good enough. So what do they do? They try to compensate with good works towards mankind. So they believe that, you know what, because I know I'm not good enough to go to heaven, to stand before God, I know I've transgressed and broke his law, that I'm going to try and I'm going to help my fellow man. And that will give me enough credit to enter into heaven. How many do you know who are humanists? That too is also denying the gospel of Jesus Christ. I cannot bring myself nigh to God because I am afar off. Remember, that's our state. If I'm afar off, how do I come to God? And this is man's solution. Let's reconcile ourselves to God through moralism through humanitarianism. Now, the next one is religion. Well, we see this. Now, religion is less about, okay, you know what? It's not so much as I'm good enough or bad enough. It's about my effort, and I am going to impress God with my holiness, my piety, my consistency, and just like the Pharisee, the publican and the Pharisee. I thank you, God, that I'm all these things so I can impress you. So the religious crowd says, you know what, we'll do all things religion. They, now, they have a mind towards God. The moralist and the, and the humanitarian, they may not or may or may not even be thinking of God. But the religious person does. Remember what Paul says about them? They have a zeal towards God, but not according to knowledge. Now think about Cain. Cain is a perfect example of false religion, of religious-based type of works. I know that God told me to do it this way, but you know what? I'm going to do it better than the way God told me to do it and watch me impress God. That's religion. That's religious-based works. Does any of that have to do with being drawn nigh to God through the blood of Jesus Christ? It doesn't. The fourth kind is mysticism. Now, mysticism exists. All of these categories have large scales of people. Mysticism is the thought process that if you can get into a dark room all by yourself and go so deep within your own conscious just, you know, it's, it's beyond the intelligence. It's, it's like a, it's a mystical presence within you that God will come and he will unite with you in some kind of mystical way and that he will bond himself to you. That's mysticism. Again, there's no mention of the gospel of Jesus Christ in any of those things. Those are men's attempt to reconcile to God. Now, when I say reconcile, I mean to be brought nigh to God. But we need to understand what this verse is saying. What is this verse saying? He says, but now in Christ Jesus, who were sometimes were afar off, 
are made nigh. You're reconciled by the blood of Christ. Now, it's very easy to look over this. How are we made nigh? Look at that. Are made nigh. Who's doing the action? Am I doing the action in verse 13? No. I'm being brought nigh to God. I'm not in effort going to God. Oh, but he's coming to me. And he's bringing me to him. So, we see that the act of God, it's the act of God alone that he brings us into his own presence through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Not through mysticism, not through prayer, not through Holy Land journeys, not through this, not through that, not nirvana, but it's only through Jesus Christ can you ever be brought nigh to God. Now what does that say? That makes a statement, doesn't it? That means that if you are outside of Jesus Christ today, you are never, ever, ever even close to God. That's it. He's the only way to be brought to him. Is Jesus. If I am not in Christ, I have never been close. No man is nigh unto God outside of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now we need to understand that Many are in this case now, they're far off from God. They've not been brought nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. So instead of us attempting to go to God in all our good works and, and how I feel, what, what does God command every man everywhere to do? Repent. Drop your arms just drop your arms of good works, drop your arms of religion, drop your arms of moralism, drop your arms of all those things, and you come to God knowing you're a sinner, knowing you've fallen short of the glory of God, knowing there's nothing good in me. And you know what? It doesn't stop there. Nor will there ever be anything good in me. I can live a thousand years, and I will still never earn the merit and the favor of God through good works. So, you know, a lot of these religious people say, well, you know what, I, I, I admit I'm not good. So why don't I join a religion to become good? It's not there. It's not knowing you're bad. It's knowing that you're bad and you will always be bad. And that you will never, ever earn the merit of God. And so what do we do? We come. We are convicted of the Holy Spirit. We're convinced that we're sinners. And we come to Him. We beg mercy to our Lord. Oh, and he scoops us. He's the one who brings us nigh to him. So, once you've repented and you believe the gospel, you know what, the, I, I didn't read this, but I want to. Galatians 3.22 is a powerful verse. He says, but the scripture hath concluded all under sin. Believe me if you want. Do you believe the scripture? Do you believe the scripture? The scripture hath concluded all under sin. All. So that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. 
We see 2 Corinthians 5.19 that is actually God reconciling the world to himself. He says that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Oh, we see that in the teaching here that what we once were, we were far off, but now what are we? Those who are saved. Well, in verse 13, it splits it up a little bit. Look at the very first three words. But now in Christ Jesus. Here's the first thing. Where are we now? We're in Christ. And then it says, who were sometime afar off are made nigh. We're also made nigh. That's our current condition. Not only do we have a positional peace, not only are we in Christ justified, We've been judicially forgiven, that our sins have been separated. Now here's the thing, and and I like this little, uh, you you may want to write it down. Your sins will separate you from God. The only way to be drawn nigh to God is for God to separate you from your sins. And how does he do that? And we're getting ready to find out. God separates you from your sins through bringing us nigh to him by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now those are chargeable sins. Those are offensive crimes of transgression and judicial. Now I'm not saying that we're going to become sinless, but I'm saying the sins that condemn you, God has separated from you. Now, we are personally justified, experientially God's people. We experience the spirit of sonship, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And so, how did this change take place? Oh, by the blood of Christ. By the blood of Christ. There are people who hate to preach and teach on the blood. Now, many of you have been uh, in the uh, Lord's Church a lot of years, and you've probably heard this before, and you've seen it out there. There's something that is offensive about preaching the blood, To those that are out there, these popcorn preachers, right? They get up, they never preach on the blood, they never preach on hell. And here's the thing, if I neglect to preach the blood of Jesus Christ, I myself are far from God. And and I am teaching you, oh, what's a dangerous game. These false teachers and preachers are, are playing a dangerous game if they're not teaching on the blood. That's how God purifies. That's how God's purged us from our sins. It is God and all glory to God. If I do not preach on hell, if I do not preach on the blood of Jesus Christ, I am not only myself far from him, but I'm leading you to be far from him too. I mean, they get up there, and and what's their motivation? Well, they don't want to offend people. You know, the blood, it is divisive, and it's cruel, and it's all these things. You know, that would be, I was thinking about this, and I hate to give this scenario, but I was trying to think, well, you know, what's that like? That would be like me knowing you're inside your house, and it's on fire, and you don't know it's on fire. You're just sitting there, I'm watching through the window, and you're clicking through the channels, and your house is about to engulf you. You only have minutes to live. But instead of screaming and shouting and yelling, Leave! Escape! Run for your life! 
Judgment's coming. Wrath is coming. You know what? Instead of doing that, I'm too afraid that I might wake up your neighbors. So I'll just let you burn. That's what Joel Osteen does. That's what false teachers and preachers do. If they do not preach the blood, they are, just, they are not giving you your life-saving information that you need. They're not warning you to flee from the wrath to come. That's my job, to flee from the wrath to come. Find refuge in Jesus Christ. It's coming. Oh, and it breaks our heart, breaks my heart. And so many times you just want to drill the truth in and you can't. I saw a, 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 a meme on Facebook and uh, someone had, had sown the mustard seed. And they said, you know, you can try to get them to see it. You can try and try and beg and beg, but they're never going to see it. But once they do, and, they, and, and in this picture, it was a tree that shot right up and it split a rock in half, a big boulder. Well, once, once God brings that fruit, you can't stop it. And it's God that must bring the increase. And God will bring that fruit, and it will move heaven and earth. It'll do things that you've never seen. God will change your life. But as we sow that seed, we just want it to go, 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 especially to our loved ones. You know, we, we trust God's sovereign will. We, we trust his providence. We know that the Lord's on his throne, and all that he has given unto the Father, all that he's given unto the Son shall come to him. And all that come to him will in no wise cast out. Isn't that a beautiful assurance? Isn't that a great assurance of our witness to others and our testimony of giving the gospel? But here's the thing. What took place to make the difference? I was once nigh, or I'm sorry, I once was afar, now I'm nigh. God was the one that brought me. It wasn't me. God was the one that brought me. How did he do it? He did it through the blood of Jesus Christ. God has always done it through the blood. And we see that there's two things I want to explore with the blood. First of all, the blood of Jesus Christ has brought us nigh to God through something called expiation. Expiation is the removal of sin or guilt. The removal of sin and guilt. Do you remember John the Baptist? He said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. The blood of Jesus Christ is the agent of expiation of my guilt and my sin. It had to be his blood. Otherwise, I'd still be in my guilt. I'd still be in my sin, awaiting my punishment. Now, we read that in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 30, that Jesus, he had by himself purged our sins. Now, what is Christ in reference to the expiation of sins? What is the removal of the guilt? Jesus is the lamb of sacrifice. He is the lamb that was provided. He is the lamb that was slain. Why was the lamb necessary? The lamb of sacrifice was necessary because God has made a decree that the wages of sin is death. The wage of your transgression to God. The wage that you've not loved the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. The, the wage, the penalty, the payment, that payday is coming. If you're outside of Christ, we know that God has decreed 
that all men who have sinned must die. All men, all women, they must die. In Revelation, we see that they'll experience the second death, how death and hell were brought up and the sea that was in them gave up the dead and then they were all judged. And if they were not written in the Lamb's book of life, that they were cast into hell and torment forever and ever. That's the second death. The wages of sin is death. And we see, hallelujah, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God cannot ignore your sin. So what is the expiation? Only a sacrificial and atoning death of the innocent can cover the sins of the guilty. He established this all throughout the Old Testament. The sacrificial lamb, the atoning blood. Only the blood could cover for the guilty. Only the innocent's blood could cover for the guilty. It was always the blood. Always the blood. You cannot but preach the blood. If you're not preaching the blood, give up. You are leading people astray. So, without the shedding of blood, in in Hebrews 9.22, there is no remission of sins. Isn't that what it's about? If I'm not preaching the blood, and then there's no remission of sins. I'm teaching you today, I'm telling you today, that you need to have your sins forgiven. We had said a couple weeks ago, nobody thinks about their soul. They think about everything else. You don't think about the fact that you are going to exist forever and ever. What's the state of your soul today? Are you saved? And do you know you're saved? Has the Lord given you assurance of your salvation? Has he drawn you nigh to him? If he has, it's only through the blood of Jesus Christ. Why did Jesus come? Peter said it was because he and his own self bore our sins in his own body. That on the tree that we being dead to sin should live in the righteousness. What happened to Jesus on the cross? God hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we may be the righteousness of God in him. How is God reconciled? How is God bringing us in his presence? He can't with sin. Sin sin separates us, right? How can God bring me to him? By putting my sins upon him who knew no sin, that I might be reconciled to him that I may have the righteousness of God. That's the way of God's salvation. That's when we read the amazing salvation God has given us. Why did Christ die? It was the only way to atone for my sins. Christ had to die upon the cross. You remember when Peter, when they came to get Jesus, and Peter took his sword from his sheath, and he went to attack, and Jesus said, Peter, put your sword up. Put your sword up. Don't I have to drink of the cup which the Father has given me? Jesus could have called 10,000 legions of angels to come down and rescue him, and he could have snapped his fingers and started over, all over. He did not have to suffer at all. But aren't you glad he did? Jesus had to suffer because he was the only one that could absorb and pay for my sins against God. Jesus had to die because the wages of sin is death. God commands all who have sinned everywhere to die. So Jesus died for me. 
He took the wrath of God upon him. He took that reserved wrath that God had reserved for me, a child of wrath, and he poured it upon his son. So God is just in justifying me that he has dealt with the punishment of my sins. So he's forgiven me. He's had mercy upon me. And that is to you today as well. Before I can draw nigh unto God, before you can draw nigh unto God, there must be something done about your sins because your sins will separate you. The only way to be drawn nigh unto God is for God to separate you from your sins as far as from the east to the west. And how does he do that? Well, he took the sins and the ordinances and the transgressions that were against me and he nailed them to the cross. Oh, isn't that wonderful? That's how he has dealt with my sins. That's why I can stand. That's how I've been drawn nigh. Because my sins have been dealt with. Now, his blood is the reason for the expiation. Also, not just for expiation, not for just the forgiveness and washing away of my sin, not the removal of my guilt and my stain before him. That's the blood. The blood removes the guilt and the stain. It does not remove sin. I'm not a perfect man, but I'm justified. I'm just as if I've never sinned. So that's expiation. But there's also Jesus' blood has ratified the New Testament. Jesus' blood has ratified the New Covenant. Ratification means to seal, to make official, to set. Now, typically... When you ratify, like if you ratify a will, if you're writing your will, do you know when your will is actually ratified? When you die. It goes into effect. It's official. There's no changing it. It's legal. It's binding. There's nothing to change the, what you have put in the will. Jesus, by his blood, was the ratification of the new covenant of the covenant which God made to Abraham, that in thee all nations shall be blessed, and in Isaac shall thy, thy seed be called, and in Isaac shall he bring an everlasting covenant. Isn't it wonderful in Hebrews how he calls Jesus, he's the mediator of the new covenant, and how he has sealed the everlasting righteousness which we have. Folks, when you're saved, and you're brought to God. God has brought you nigh to Him. He has put you into the covenantal prom promises of His people, of His spiritual people, of all His elect. Oh, and we receive the benefits. We were called the children of Abraham because we've had like faith. You know what? We've had like faith and we have imputed righteousness, but we're also going to have like blessings of Abraham. Oh, we're heirs. We're heirs according to the promise. Isaac was an heir according to the promise to his seed. Oh, there's many that, that we can go and we can look. And God had always sealed the covenants with blood. Remember the old covenant was sealed with the blood of goats and bulls. But this new covenant, as we see in Hebrews, was sealed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Not only are we brought nigh to God uh, from Jesus' blood, from the fact that he is the expiation and he is the propitiation. Propitiation is the covering. Expiation is the removal. And because God has covered us, covered our sins with his blood, it's been removed. 
but his blood also. Remember why we have the Lord's Supper? Remember the very beginning of the, the message, what I said. Let's celebrate the greatness of salvation. Let it not lose, let, let, let our mind not slip away from how great our Lord's salvation is and all that he did. What's the Lord's Supper? The Lord's Supper is a perpetual reminder of the body which was bruised and the blood which was poured out for my sins. Jesus says, this is the New Testament of my blood. This is the new covenant of his blood. Jesus has sealed the new covenant with his blood. And it will never be disannulled. God's promises will always be. And that's wonderful. If, if we had time, we would go to Hebrews chapter 9 and um, we would see the difference between the blood of the bulls and goats that were in the first covenant versus the blood of the precious lamb of God, the precious lamb of Jesus Christ, which was shed for remission of sins for many. I pray for you. I pray that you've seen yourself a sinner and that you have felt these words today. Let's not these words bounce off of us. You know, I, I was praying the Lord that use me today to, to bring just a desire and a soldier's mentality to those who are going to be at camp next week. And they'll, they'll be dealing with the weather. They'll be dealing with the behavior of children who are not raised in homes where they're taught to behave and things of that nature. But oh, may God give them the perseverance to just continue through all of that to love them, to know that they have the light to shine before darkness, to know that they have the gospel and the word of life in their hands, that they just teach and they preach with all patience, all long-suffering, and know that your labor is not in vain when you labor in the Lord. And I wanted to, to, to bring something to encourage all of you to be that way, to bring the Lord's salvation, the greatness of his salvation, into your heart, realizing that it's God who's reconciling through the blood of Jesus Christ. You may be afar off from God. You need to realize that if you are outside of Jesus Christ, you will always be afar off from God. Always. If it's not for the blood of Jesus Christ drawing you and being your salvation, that you will not be saved. You come to him in faith in him alone. Oh, the, the very presence of God is through Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man entereth unto the Father but by me. You can invent a new religion and if you're never going to get close to God. Ever. Because there's only one way. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man cometh unto the Father but my, me. Have you been drawn nigh to God through the blood, through Jesus' blood? What we were, we were sometimes afar off. What we are now, if you're saved, you're in Christ and you've been made nigh. God has reconciled you to him. 
and why we've been made nigh by the precious blood of Jesus Christ and his blood alone. Oh, all to the praise of the glory of his grace who has made us accepted in the beloved. Ephesians chapter 2, as many of you know, is one of the most beautiful chapters that there is. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I pray that you know the Lord today as your personal Savior. And God has spoken to your heart, and he has shown you your state before him. Lord, am I nigh, or am I afar off? The gospel of salvation is this, that Jesus came, was born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless life, he's the son of God, and he's God the son. He's all God and all man. And he came and he lived a perfect life, a sin, sinless life, so that he could be my substitute. And then he went willingly to the cross of Calvary, and there he paid for my sins. There he paid the punishment that I would have paid for in God's wrath upon me. You know, all of us are going to die unless the Lord returns. And I've pictured myself, I don't know if you've pictured yourself, just standing before God. Standing before God and not having my sins paid for. And that payment must come upon me. That's what the Word of God says. Oh, that payment must come upon me. But then I think about standing before God after I die, knowing that Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid all my sins, all the debt I owe, he paid it in full, stamped in full. And I stand before God, and I stand in Christ, his beloved. And I've been brought into the promises. Oh, he'll say, well done, well done. You know, I will come in, and I will be a child of promise because I've been brought into the covenantal promises that God gave Abraham because it was through faith. How did Abraham receive this promise? By faith. How was Abraham imputed righteousness? By faith. How was Abraham righteous? By grace through faith. And that's what Jesus has sealed in his blood. Oh, I pray that the Lord has richly blessed you and that we can leave this place seeing the greatness, how God has brought us nigh to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your salvation. Father, we come humbly knowing, Lord, that all of us are sinners who deserve hell. All of us have transgressed against you. All of us. There's nothing good in us. Father, but by the blood of your Son and the great work of grace, the great work of compassion, Father, you have brought many to you, Lord, and saved us through the wrath that you have yet to come. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we know that you need to penetrate the hearts. Father, we, we know, Lord, that these words are eternal, and many that hear, they turn away. It, it never goes into their heart. They never stop and think about 
how serious that the words which they're hearing are the most important words they'll ever hear. Lord, we know it takes your power for them to see that. Father, we pray your will and your blessings. Not just today, Father, but next week, Lord, we pray that you be with all the counselors, the teachers, and all those who are going to labor next week to present the word of God, not only verbally, but by their actions to others, that they may see the light, they may see Christ. Father, we'll give you all the praise and the glory for all the things which you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.